Today, I'm speaking with Nathan LeBenz. Nathan studied chemistry at Harvard before becoming an entrepreneur, founding several different tech products before settling on Waymark, uh, which allows people to produce video ads from text using generative AI. This year, Nathan also began hosting the Cognitive Revolution podcast, which has been on an absolute tear, uh, interviewing dozens of founders and researchers on the cutting edge of AI. Why it's hard to imagine a much better game board. Do you want to say anything any more about how you went from being quite alarmed about OpenAI in late 2022 to feeling the game board really is about as good as it as it as it reasonably could be? It's quite a transformation in a way. Yeah, I mean, I think that it was always better than it appeared to me during that red team situation. So again, in my narrative, it was kind of a this is what I saw at the time. This is what caused me to go this route, and you know, I learned some things and had a couple of experiences that you know, folks have have heard that I thought were revealing. So there was a lot more going on than I saw. What I saw was pretty narrow, and that was by their design. And, you know, it wasn't super reassuring. But as their moves came public over time, it did seem that at least they were making a very reasonable, which, and reasonable is not necessarily adequate, but it it is at least not negligent. You know, at the at the time of the red team, I was like, this seems like it could be a negligent level of effort. And mm. I was really worried about that. As all these different moves became public, it was pretty clear that this was certainly not negligent. It in fact was pretty good and it was definitely serious. And whether that proves to be adequate to the grand challenge, you know, we'll see. I, I certainly don't think that's a given either. But, you know, there's not like a ton of low hanging fruit, right? There's not like a ton of things where I could be like, you should be doing this, 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 and this, and you're not, you know, I don't have like a ton of great ideas at this point for OpenAI, assuming that they're not changing their main trajectory of development for things that they could do on the margin for safety purposes. I don't have a ton of great ideas for them. So that overall, you know, just the fact that like, I can't, and other people, you know, certainly are welcome to uh, add their own ideas. I don't think I'm the the only source of, of good ideas by any means. But the fact that I don't have a ton to say that they could be doing much better is a sh- sharp contrast to how I felt during the Red Team project with my limited information at the time. So they won a lot of trust, you know, from me, certainly by just doing one good thing after another. And, you know, more broadly, just across the landscape, I think it is pretty striking that leadership at most, not all, but most of the big model developers at this point are publicly recognizing that they're playing with fire. Most of them have signed on to the Center for AI Safety Extinction Risk one-sentence statement. Most of them clearly are very thoughtful about all the big picture issues. You know, we can see that in any number of different interviews and public statements that they've made. You know, and you can contrast that against, for example, meta leadership, where you've got Jan LeCun, who's basically saying, ah, this is all going to be fine. We'll, you know, we'll definitely, we will have superhuman AI, but we'll definitely keep it under control and nothing to worry about. That could be the, it's easy to imagine to me that that could be the majority perspective from the leading developers. And I'm kind of surprised that it's not. It's, you know, when you think about other technology waves, You've really never had something where the, at least not that I'm aware of, where the developers are like, 
hey, this could be super dangerous. And you know, somebody probably should come in and, and put some oversight, if not regulation, on this industry. Typically, you know, they don't want that. They certainly don't tend to invite it. Uh, most of the time, they fight it. Certainly, people are not that, you know, not that quick to recognize that their product could cause significant harm to the to the public. So that is just unusual. I think it's done in good faith and for good reasons. But it's easy to imagine that you could have a different crop of leaders that just would either be in denial about that or, you know, refuse to acknowledge it out of self-interest or, you know, any number of, of reasons that they might not be willing to do what the current actual crop of leaders has mostly done. So I think that's really good. What OpenAI has been doing right. Yeah, I mean, it's a long, it's a long list, really. It's, it is quite impressive. One thing that I didn't mention in the podcast or in the, th- in the thread and probably should have has been, I think that they've done a pretty good job of advocating for reasonable regulation of frontier model development. The, in addition to, you know, committing to their own uh, best practices and creating the forum that they can use to communicate with other developers and hopefully share learnings about big risks that they may be seeing, they have, I think, advocated for what seems to me to be a very reasonable policy of focusing on the high-end stuff. They have been very clear that they don't want to shut down research. They don't want to shut down small models. They don't want to shut down applications doing their own thing. But they do think the government should pay attention to people that are doing stuff at the highest level of compute. And that's also notably where, in addition to being just obviously where the breakthrough capabilities are currently coming from, that's also where it's probably minimally intrusive to actually have some regulatory regime Hmm. because it does take a lot of physical infrastructure to scale a model to, say, 10 to the 26 flops, which is the threshold that the recent White House executive order set for just merely telling the government that you are doing something that big, uh, which doesn't seem super heavy-handed to me. Um, And I say that as a, broadly speaking, a lifelong libertarian so I think they've they've pushed for what seems to me a very sensible balance, something that I think techno-optimist people should find to be minimally intrusive, minimally constraining. Most application developers shouldn't have to worry about this at all. I, I had one uh, guest on the podcast not long ago who was kind of saying, well, that, you know, that might be annoying or whatever. And I was just doing some back-of-the-envelope math on how big the latest model they had trained was. And I was like, I think you have at least a thousand X compute to go before you would even <laughs> hit the reporting threshold, right? And he was like, well, yeah, probably we do. So it's really going to be maybe, maybe 10 companies, you know, over the next year or two that would would get into that level, maybe not even 10. So I think they've really done a pretty good job of saying this is the area that the government should focus on, whether the government will pay attention to that or not, you know, we'll see. There are, not to say there aren't other areas that the government should focus on, too. It definitely makes my blood boil when I read stories about people being arrested based on nothing other than some face match software having triggered and identifying them. And then you have you know police going out and, and arresting people who had literally nothing to do with whatever the incident was. 
without doing any further, you know, investigation even. I mean, that's that's highly inappropriate in my view. And I think the the government would be also right to say, hey, we're going to have some standards here around certainly what like law enforcement can do uh, around the use of, of AI. Arms racing and China. Is there anything else that Sam or OpenAI have done that that you've liked uh, and have been kind of impressed by? Yeah, one thing I think is specifically going out of his way to question the narrative that China's going to do it no matter what we do, so we have no choice but to try to keep pace with China. He has said he has no idea what China's going to do, and he sees a lot of people talking like they know what China's going to do, and he doesn't really think they, you know, he, he thinks they're overconfident in their assessments of what China is going to do and basically thinks we should make our own decisions independent of what China may or may not do. And I think that's really good. You know, I, I also, and I'm no China expert at all, but it's easy to have that kind of, you know, first of all, I, I hate, just hate how adversarial our relationship with China has become. Um, as, you know, somebody who lives in the Midwest in the United States, like, I don't really see why we need to be in long-term conflict with China. You know, it, it, like that, that to me would be a reflection of very bad leadership on at least one, if not both sides, if, if that, you know, continues to be the case for a long time to come. I think we should be able to get along. We're on opposite sides of the world. We don't really, you know, have to compete over much. And, you know, we, and we're both in like very secure positions. And neither one of us is like really a threat to the other in like, in a way of, you know, taking over their country or something or them, you know, coming in, ruling us. Like, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, the, the, so, the, the most important, uh, the reason why this shouldn't, this particular geopolitical setup shouldn't necessarily lead to war in the way that ones in the past have is that the, the countries are so far away uh, for one another and none of their core interests, their core, like, narrow national interests that they care the most about overlap in a really negative way or they need not if, if people play their cards right. Uh there is just like no fundamental pressure that is forcing the US and China towards conflict. Um, and I think, I mean, I don't know, that's that, that's my general take. And I, and I think if, if you're right, that if our national leaders cannot lead us towards a path of peaceful coexistence, then we should be extremely disappointed in them and kick them out and replace them with someone who can. But sorry, I interrupted. Carry on. Yeah, well, that that's basically my view as well. And, you know, some may call it naive, but Sam Altman, I think to his, in my view, to his significant credit, has specifically argued against the idea that we just have to do whatever because China is going to do whatever. And so I, I do give a lot of credit for that because it could easily be used as cover for him to do whatever he wants to do and, um, you know, to, to specifically argue against it um, to me is, is quite laudable. Yeah, no, that's super creditable. I actually, I hadn't, I hadn't twigged. Uh, I, guess, I, I guess I knew the fact that I hadn't heard that argument coming from Sam. But uh, now that you mention it, it's outstanding that he has not, I think, fallen for that line or has not appropriated that line in order to to get more slack for OpenAI to, to do what it wants because uh, it would be so easy, um, so easy even to convince yourself that it's a good argument uh, and, and make that. Um, so, yeah, super, super kudos to, to him. OpenAI's single-minded focus on AGI. I think there is a pretty clear divergence in how fast the capabilities are improving and how fast our control measures are improving. The capabilities over the last couple of years seem to have improved much more than the controls. 
GPT-4, again, can like code at a near human level. It can do things like, if you say to it with a certain setup and access to certain tools, if you say, synthesize this chemical, and you give it access to control via API, a chemical laboratory, it can often do that. It can look up things. It can, you know, it can issue the right commands. You can actually get a physical chemical at the other end of a laboratory just by prompting GPT-4, again, with some access to some information and, and the relevant APIs to just say, just do it. And you can actually get a physical chemical at the other end. Like, that's crazy, right? The, these capabilities are going super fast. And meanwhile, the controls are not nearly as good, right? Oddly enough, it's kind of hardest to get it to be like, you know, let's say violating of, you know, kind of dearly held uh, social norms. So it's like, it's pretty hard to get it to be racist. It will like bend over backwards to be like very neutral on certain social topics. But Mm -hmm. things that are more subtle, like synthesizing chemicals or whatever, it's very easy most of the time to get it to kind of do whatever you want it to do, good or bad. And that divergence gives me a lot of pause. And I think it it maybe should give them (laughs) more pause too. Like, what is AGI, right? It, It is sort of a, it is a vision. It's not super well formed. People have, I think, a lot of different things in their imaginations when they try to conceive of what it might be like. But they've set out, and they've even updated their core values recently, which you can find on their careers page, to say, and this is the first core value, is AGI focus. And they basically say, we are building AGI. That's what we're doing. Everything we do is in service of that. Anything that's not in service of that is out of scope. And I would just say, the number one thing I would really want them to do is re-examine that. Is it really wise, Mm. given the trajectory of developments of the control measures, to continue to pursue that goal right now with single-minded focus? I am not convinced of that at all. You know, and I think they could perhaps have a rumor has it, and it's more than rumor, as Sam Altman has said, that the super alignment team will have their first result uh, published soon. So I'll be very eager to read that. <laughs> Waiting and, and on hooks, yeah. To yeah, find I mean, out. let's see, right? Possibly this trend will reverse. Possibly the progress will start to slow. Certainly if it's just a matter of more and more scale. You know, we're getting into the realm now where GPT-4 is supposed to have cost $100 million. So, you know, in a log scale, you may need a billion, you may need $10 billion to get to that that level. And that's not going to be easy, even with today's infrastructure. So maybe those, you know, capabilities will start to slow, and maybe they're going to have great results from the super alignment team. And, you know, we'll feel like we're on a much better, you know, kind of relative footing between capabilities and control. But until that happens, I think the AGI single-minded, you know, this is what we're doing and and everything else is out of scope, feels misguided to the point of, I I would call it ideological. It doesn't seem at all obvious that we should make something that is more powerful than humans at everything when we don't have a clear way to control it, right? So, I mean, that, that to me is like, the whole premise does seem to be well worth a re-examination at this point. And without further evidence, I don't feel comfortable with that. I, I find it very easy for me and easy to empathize with the, the the developers who are just like, man, this is this is so incredible and it's so awesome. Like, how could we not want to <laughs> continue? This is the coolest thing anyone's ever done. It, it, genuinely, right? I mean, I, so I, I'm very with that, but it could change quickly in a world where 
it is genuinely better at us than everything. And that is their stated goal, right? So it's, if, and I, I have found Sam Altman's public statements to generally be pretty accurate and a pretty good guide to what the future will hold. I specifically tested that during the window between the GPT-4 red team and the GPT-4 release because it was crazy speculation. He was making some, you know, mostly kind of cryptic public comments during that window. But I found them to all be pretty accurate to what I had seen with GPT-4. So I think that um, we should, again, we should take them broadly at face value in terms of, certainly as we talked about before, their motivations on regulatory questions, but also in terms of what their goals are. And their their stated goal very plainly is to make something that is more capable than humans at basically everything. And yeah, I just don't feel like the control measures are anywhere close to being in place for that to be a prudent move. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I would just like to see, you know, your original question, what would I like to see them do differently? I think the biggest picture thing would be just continue to question that what I think, you know, could easily become an assumption and basically has become an assumption, right? If it's a core value at this point for the company, then it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that's going to be questioned all that much. But I hope they do continue to question the wisdom of pursuing this AGI vision. Immediately. uh, Especially as it's detached, yeah, from, especially immediately and especially as (laughs) detached from any particular problem that they're trying to solve. Transparency about capabilities. I think it would be really helpful to have a better sense of just what they can and can't predict about what the next model can do. Hmm. Just how successful were they in their predictions about GPT-4, for example. We know that there are scaling laws that show what the loss number is going to be pretty effectively. But even there, it's kind of like, well, with what data set exactly? You know, and and is there any curriculum learning aspect to that? Um, You know, because you could definitely, and people are definitely developing all sorts of ways to change the composition of the data set over time. There's been some results even from OpenAI that show that like pre-training on code first seems to help with logic and reasoning abilities. And then you can kind of go to a more general data set later. That's at least as I understand their published results. They've, they've certainly said something like that. Um, so like, you know, when you look at this loss curve, what exactly assumptions are baked into that? But then even more importantly, what does that mean? What can it do? And how much confidence did they have? How accurate were they in their ability to predict what GPT-4 was going to be able to do? And how accurate do they think they're going to be on the next one? There's been some conflicting messages about that. Greg Brockman recently posted something saying that they could do that. But Sam has said, and the GPT-4 technical report said that they really can't do that. When it comes to a particular, will it or won't it be able to do this specific thing, um, they just don't know. And this was a change from for uh, Greg, too, because at the launch of GPT-4, in his keynote, he said that we all, at, at OpenAI, we all have our favorite little task that the last version couldn't do that we are looking to see if the new version can do. Hmm. And the reason they have to do that is because they just don't know, right? I mean, they, they're kind of crowdsourcing internally, like, 
hey, whose favorite task got solved this time <laughs> around and whose, you know, whose remains unsolved. So that is something I would love to see them be more open about. The fact that they don't really have great ability to do that is, as far as I understand. If there has been a breakthrough there, by all means, you know, we'd love to know that too. But it seems like, no, probably not. Uh, we're really still guessing. And that's that's exactly what Sam Altman just said about GPT-5. That's the fun little guessing game for us quote that was out of the financial times argument he said just straight up i can't tell you what gpt5 is going to be able to do that gpt4 couldn't so that's a big question that's for me what what is emergence you know it's there's been a lot of debate around that but for me the most relevant definition of emergence is things that it can suddenly do from one version to the next that you didn't expect and you know that's where i think a lot of the danger and uncertainty is so that is definitely something I would like to see them do better. I would I would like to see I would also like to see them take a little bit more active role in interpreting research generally. You know, there's there's so much research going on around, you know, what can and can't do. And some of it is like pretty bad. And they don't really police that or, you know, not that they should police it. That's too strong of a word, but correct, maybe. You know, I would like to see them put out, yeah, or just at least have their own position, you know, that's a little bit more kind of robust and a little bit more updated over time. As compared to just, you know, right now they put out the technical report and it had a bunch of benchmarks and then they've pretty much left it at that. And with the new GPT-4 Turbo, they said, you know, you should find it to be better. But we didn't get, and maybe it'll still come, and maybe, you know, this also may shed a little light on the the board dynamic. um, Because they put a date on the calendar for Dev Day and they invited people and they were going to have their Dev Day. And what we ended up with was a preview model that is not yet the final version. When I interviewed Logan, the developer relations lead on my podcast, he said, basically what that means is it's not quite finished. It's not quite up to the usual standards that we have for these things. Why no statement from the OpenAI board? I mean, it is it is a very baffling decision, ultimately, to not say anything. I, I I don't have a an account. I think I can better try to interpret what they were probably thinking and and you know and some of their reasons than I can the reason for not explaining themselves. That to me is just very hard to wrap one's head around. It's almost as if they were so in the dynamics of you know their structure and who had what power locally within you know, the, the over, you know, obviously the nonprofit controls the for-profit and all that sort of stuff that they kind of failed to realize that like the whole world was watching this now and that these kind of local power structures, you know, are, are still kind of subject to some like global check, you know, like they sort of maybe interpreted themselves as like the final authority, (laughs) which on paper was true, but wasn't really true when, the whole world, you know, has, has started to pay attention to this, not just this phenomenon of AI, but this particular company and this, you know, this particular guy, right. Is like particularly well-known. So now they, they've had plenty of time though, to correct that. Right. So I, I, that kind of only goes for like 24 hours. Right. I mean, you would think even if they sort of had made that mistake up front and, and were just kind of so locally focused that, they didn't realize that the whole world was going to be up in arms and, you know, might ultimately kind of force their hand on a reversal. I don't know why 
I mean, it, that was made very clear, I would think, within 24 hours. Unless they were still just so focused and kind of in the weeds on the negotiations or, you know, uh, the, I mean, I'm sure the internal politics were intense. So, you know, no shortage of, of things for them to be thinking about at the object level locally. But I would have had to, I would have to imagine that the noise from outside also must have cracked through to some extent. You know, they must have checked Twitter at some point during this <laughs> process and been like, well, hey, yeah, this is not Times, going right? down well. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, um, it was not an obscure story, right? And this even made the Bill Simmons uh, sports podcast in the United States. And he does not touch almost anything but sports. This is one of the biggest sports podcasts, if not maybe the biggest in the United States. And he even covered this story. So, you know, it, it, it went very far. And why, you know, still to this day, and we're what, uh, however many 10 days or so later, still nothing that is very surprising. And I really don't have a good explanation for it. I think maybe the best theory that I've heard, maybe maybe two, I don't know, maybe I'll even give three uh, kind of leading contender theories. One, very briefly, is just lawyers. You know, that's kind of, I saw Eliezer advance that, that, hey, um, don't ask lawyers what you can and can't do. Instead, ask, what's the worst thing that happens if I do this and how do I mitigate it? Uh, because if you're worried that you might get sued or you're worried that, you know, whatever, um, try to get your hands around the the consequences, you know, and, and figure out how to deal with them or if you want to deal with them versus just asking the lawyers like, can I or can't I? Because they'll probably often say no. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that no is the right answer. So that's one possible explanation. Another one which I would uh, attribute to Zvi, who is a great uh, analyst on this, was that basically the thinking is kind of holistic and that, you know, what Emmett Shearer had said was that this wasn't a specific disagreement about safety. Um, as I, as I recall the quote, he didn't say that it was not about safety writ large, but that it was not a specific disagreement about safety. So a way you might interpret that would be that they sort of you know, maybe for reasons like what I outlined in in my, you know, narrative storytelling of the red team, where I, you know, people have heard this, but get, finally get to the board member, and this board member has not tried GPT-4 after I've been testing it for two months. And I'm like, wait a second, what? You know, were, were you not interested? Did they not tell you? What is going on here, right? I, I think they're Something, a sort of set of different things like that, perhaps, where, hey, they maybe felt like maybe in some situations he sort of on the margin kind of underplayed things or let them think something a little bit different than what was really true, probably without, you know, really lying or having a, um, you know, an obvious like smoking gun. But that would also be consistent with what um, the COO had said, that this was a breakdown in communication between Sam and the board. Mm. Not like a direct, you know, single thing that you could say this was super wrong, but rather like, hey, we kind of lost some confidence here. We kind of lost some confidence here. Um, all things equal, you know, do we really think this is the guy that we want to trust for this like super high stakes thing? And, you know, I, I tried to take pains in, in my writing and commentary on this to say, you know, it's not harsh judgment on any individual. And, and, and Sam Altman has kind of said this himself. His quote was, we shouldn't trust any individual person here. And, you know, that was that was on the back of saying the board can fire me. And I think that's important. Um, we shouldn't trust any individual person here. I think that is true. 
I think that is, you know, is apt. And I think the board may have kind of been feeling like, hey, we've got a couple of reasons that we've lost some confidence and we don't really want to trust any one person. And you are like this super charismatic leader that, that you know, I don't know what degree they sort of realized what loyalty he had from the team at that time. Probably they underestimated that, if anything. Um, but, you know, charismatic, insane deal maker, super, you know, kind of entrepreneur, uber entrepreneur. Is that the kind of person that we want to trust with the super important decisions that we see on the horizon? You know, this is the kind of thing that you maybe just have a hard time communicating. It's like, but still, I think they should try. The upside of AI merits taking some risk. I think I agree with you that it would be nice if we could maybe buy ourselves a few years of focusing research attention on super useful applications or super useful narrow AIs that might, you know, really surpass human capabilities in some dimension, but not necessarily every single one of them at once. It doesn't feel like a long-term strategy, though. It feels like something that we can uh, buy a bunch of time with and might be quite a smart move. But, you know, just given the diffusion of the technology, as, as you've been talking about, kind of in as much as we have the compute and in as much as we have the data out there, these capabilities are always somewhat uh, latent. They're always in a, a few steps away from being created. It feels like we have to have a plan for what happens. We, we have to be thinking about uh, what, what happens when we have AGI, because even if half of the countries in the world uh, agree that we shouldn't be going for AGI, there's, there's plenty of places in the world where probably you will be able to pursue it. And some people will think that it's a good idea for whatever sort of, uh, for whatever reason, they, they, they don't buy the safety concerns. Uh, or some people might feel like they have to go there for competitive reasons. I mean, and, and I would also say I've, there are some people out there who say we should shut down AI and we should never go there. Uh, um, like actually people who are saying, you know, we, uh, not just for a little while, but we should just ban AI basically for the future of humanity forever. Because who wants to create this crazy, crazy world where uh, humans are irrelevant and obsolete uh, and don't, don't control things? I think Eric Howell, among other people, has kind of um, made, uh, made this case that as humanity should just say no um, in, in, in perpetuity. And that's something that I can't get on board with, uh, even in principle. Uh, that seems like, in my mind, of course, the upside from creating f- full beings, full uh, AGIs that can enjoy the world in the way that humans do, that can fully enjoy existence and you know maybe achieve states of being that humans can't imagine, that are so much greater than what we're capable of, uh, you know, enjoy levels of value that humans, uh, you know, kinds of value that we haven't even imagined. That's such an enormous potential gain, such an enormous potential upside that I would feel it was selfish and parochial on the part of humanity to just close that door forever, even if it were possible. And I'm not sure whether it is possible, but if it were possible, I would say no, that's not what we ought to do. We ought to have a grander vision. And I guess on this point, this is where I sympathize with the EAC folks, is that I guess they're worried that people who want to turn AI off forever and just keep the world as it is now for, uh, as, as, uh, you know, by force for as long as possible. They're worried about those folks. And I agree that the, those people, I, at least in uh, my moral framework, are making a mistake because they're not appropriately valuing the p- enormous potential gain uh, from, well, I mean, in my mind, having AGIs that can make use of the universe, who can, who can make use of all of the rest of space and all of the matter and energy and time that humans are not able to access, that are not able to do anything useful with uh, and to make use of 
the knowledge and the thoughts and the ideas that can be thought in this universe, but which humans are just not able to because our brains are not up to it. We're not, we're not, we're not big enough. Uh, evolution hasn't, hasn't granted us that, uh, that, that capability. So, yeah, I guess I, I, sometimes, I, do, I do want to sometimes speak up in favor of AGI or um, you know, in favor of taking some risk um, here. I don't think that trying to reduce the risk to nothing by just stopping progress in AI would ever really be appropriate. To start with, the, I mean, the background risks from all kinds of different problems are substantial already. Uh, and in as much as AI might help to reduce those other risks, you know, so maybe the background risk that we face from pandemics, for example, uh, then that would give us some reason to tolerate some risk in the progress of AI in the pursuit of risk reduction in, in other areas. Uh, but also just, of course, the enormous potential moral and spiritual, dare I say, upside to uh, bringing into this universe beings like the most glorious children that one could ever hope to create in in, in some sense. Now, my view is that, you know, we could afford to take a couple of extra years to figure out what children we would like to create and figure out what um, much more capable beings we would like to share the universe with forever. Uh, and that prudence would suggest that we maybe, you know, uh, measure twice and cut once uh, when it comes to creating what might turn out to be a form of successor species to to humanity. But nonetheless, you know, I don't think we should uh, measure forever. Uh, there, there is there is some reason to to move forward uh, and to accept some risk in, in the interests of not missing the opportunity because, say, we go we go extinct for some other reason or some other disaster um, prevents us from accomplishing this amazing thing in the in the meantime. 